Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, we're going to talk about the story of Noah this morning. Who's actually read the story of Noah? Like, I mean, you've probably heard it in kids' church growing up, or you would have heard about the movie that was done by Hollywood, which, by the way, is not based upon the Bible. And if you're looking to Hollywood to be your Bible, then you're probably looking in the wrong place. A lot of people got really upset. That's not true to the story. And I'm like, what, like, did you expect any difference? Like, like Hollywood's not the word of God. Um, So it was a very different one. So don't go watch the movie and expect it to line up to the Bible. It won't. Um, But we're going to talk about Noah. And Noah, the story of Noah is um, found in Genesis 6 to 9. And the story of Noah is quite an interesting one. Basically, to give you some dot points, the world is fully corrupted. It actually says in Genesis 6, verse 5, every intention of the thoughts of man was only evil continually. There was no break in the pattern of evil thought of heart in mankind. And it says in verse 6 that God actually was grieved by it. It broke God's heart to see the world so corrupted. It actually specifically says the world was full of violence. And here we have Noah. And Noah is seen by God. It says, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Moses is the only other person listed in the Old Testament to have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So, like, it's kind of a big deal. Noah is a big deal when it comes to having a look at the heroes of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's very much, um, we can very much look at it as, oh, that's a cute kid's story because it's got animals and stuff in it. But he's quite a, a man of faith. He's quite a man of around the time when the world is very corrupt, he stands out. Um, And it says in verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so the world is fully corrupt, and, and God sees his creation corrupted by evil, by sin, because of the fall of mankind that happened in the garden. Sin has overtaken this world, and God can't have sin overtake his creation. And so he's going to send a flood to wipe out all this evil. He's like, I can't have evil residing in this place. I'm regretting this creation. But he sees Noah, and he's like, Noah, you're set apart. You're different. And so I'm going to make you build a boat which is quite an interesting thing. Just to give you context, Noah was not near an ocean at all. It's like God says, I'm going to give you, and he gives him all the measurements, and he's going to build this massive boat where he's going to have two of every kind of animal come into this boat. Basically, it's a cruise liner for animals. Zoo cruise, like I can imagine that going off well in Vancouver. <laughs> but it is. It's like, you, like the first ever like, cruise ship is created. And it's like this ark made out of Go for wood, as it says in some interpretations. So God says, I want you to build this ark because I'm going to send rain. Now, rain had never fallen on the earth before. The, the ground had actually been watered from different fountains from the earth. And so God says, I'm going to send rain. What is that? Like, well, Vancouver very much knows what that is. <laughs> Rain's going to come, and the springs of the earth are going to come up, and there's going to be a flood. And so Noah's like, yeah, sure, that sounds legit. Never heard of that before. And so Noah spends 120 years building this ark. Who's 120 here? Anyone? If you are, you're probably like, I ain't telling you. (laughs) 120 years, Noah builds an ark. And 
then the time comes, God says, in seven days the flood's going to come. You need to start gathering your family and to Noah's wife and their three sons and their wives enter into this ark with two of every kind of animal. And the flood comes and it covers the earth and evil is, is wiped out. And God reinstates the mandate that he gave to Adam about be fruitful and multiply to Noah. It's like a rebirth of creation. That's literally what we theologians refer it to. It's this rebirth. It's recreation. It's the, the cleansing of the old to have new life. And so we see in the story of Noah how all sin and all, all evil is, is wiped out in, in this one flood. And, and these animals are saved. Hallelujah. Who has a pet? Anyone have pets? We'll talk about that later. Honestly, Noah had a job far out. But um, so this is the story of Noah. And there's some things that you need to know about Noah. Um, In verse 22 and then chapter 7, verse 5, we see the same passage. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. He was obedient to the call of God, even though it was like, oh, that's right, we're building an ark for a flood. Those things don't actually exist. So that sounds good, God. See, he didn't actually twist God's word and say, well, I'll do that part, but that part seems a little bit out of the way, so I'm going to maybe change it a little bit. No, it says that Noah actually did all that God had commanded him to do. He didn't adapt it to suit his work schedule. He didn't adapt it to suit his preference. He did all that God had commanded him to do. It was a big job. He had to cut down trees. He had to treat the trees. He had to carry the trees and and make them into, if anyone knows building stuff, you can take over right now because... I'm done at at trees. Um, He had to get all of the equipment. It was a big job to actually build an ark. It took him 120 years. Now, he probably didn't have all the resources that we have in our modern day and age, but it still took him a lot of work, and he was consistent in it. Why did Noah find favor in God's eyes? There's three things that actually says about Noah and why he found favor. One, he was righteous. He pleased God. He lived to please God. Righteous is to be morally right, virtuous, upright, decent, and worthy. His intention was to please God. Number two, he was blameless. He had integrity amongst people. He was without fault. People couldn't fault him. He was blameless. He walked a life where his life was so integrous that there was no wrongdoing found, that he was above reproach. And then three, he was faithful. It says he walked with God. Loyal, constant, steadfast, devoted, Australian say true blue. Does anyone know that? Do you guys use that term here? A true blue, okay. Moving right along. <laughs> he was faithful. The, the reason why he could actually walk with God faithfully, uh, why he could be blameless and righteous was because of his walk. The reason why he was found righteous and blameless is because there was a, cons- a constant walk with God. He was on the same page with God, in contrast to mankind, who it says was continually evil, continually set on evil things. Here is the world and mankind continually set on evil. And then here is Noah continually set on walking faithfully with God, complete opposites, Complete counterculture. God was pleased with Noah. Now, pleased and loved are two very different things. See, God's love is unconditional. God's love, you cannot put a restraint on it. You cannot say, well, God loves Robert, but he doesn't love, oh, I don't want to say that because then I feel bad for saying it, Emma. Yeah, there we go. 
God's love is for all. God's love has no bounds. God is love. The Bible actually says God is love. But we see in this passage that God is pleased with Noah. Now, to be pleased, it actually means to have put a smile on God's face, for God to be happy with you. God's love and God being pleased are two different things. Yesterday in the rain, my six-year-old daughter, Alice, who is a sweetheart, she doesn't actually know how to ride a bike yet. Um, and she has a lot of fear when it comes to like getting on and not making things perfect. She's all about the methodology. My son, Levi, however, doesn't really care about methodology and just gets it done, and it's a really fun house. Um, and so Alice is trying to, we I took her out on the road. I'm like, all right, let's try and like get this bike riding done. Now, I love Alice. I absolutely love her. The moment that she was born, my love for her has only, if anything, grown. My love for her is not dependent on her being capable of riding a bike. However, yesterday, after about 40 times and many falls and many tears, she got on the bike, she launched herself, herself like off herself, and she started riding up and down the road by herself without me doing the crazy mum run. You know, when you're like, <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that was the first 39 times. <laughs> but I'm not doing that, I'm just standing and watching, and I just start smiling, and I was pleased. I wasn't pleased of my love for her. Yes, that's a factor. I was pleased because there was an opportunity for a six-year-old to see that she needed to step out in faith, to do the unknown, to do something she'd never experienced before, and to overcome it, to not give up. And seeing her push past all of that fear, push past all of the letdowns of it, she rode her bike. She, and it was, had a flat tire, too. I didn't check that. She rode <laughs> her bike with a flat tire. That's Ben's job. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I, can, I pumped the tire myself. Thank you. But she did. And I was so happy. My love hadn't changed. I still loved Alice. But I was pleased with her because she took an opportunity where faith was required. And she partnered with that. And she overcame she didn't give up. And that pleased me to see that she had taken a step, not for my life, for her life. She'd moved forward in her life. It didn't affect how I rode my bike. It affected how she did. And that's the same with God. God is pleased with Noah because he sees how Noah responds in this circumstance where the world is corrupt and there's an opportunity for Noah to respond in faith and he does. One thing we need to understand is, is as we read in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it actually says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. You, don't have, you probably didn't have faith to drive here this morning. You didn't have faith to walk in these doors, and if you did, well done. It doesn't take you great faith to go to Safeway and pick up a block of cheese. You don't need faith for that, Why? because it's the scene, you know it. There is things in our lives that don't require your faith. And we can say, oh, well, I have faith that, you know, like, God will put petrol in my car, uh, sorry, petrol, gas in my car. Um, and I get it, you have those moments when there's a lack and when you can't see it. Faith is the things hoped for that are not yet seen. 
it goes on from Hebrews 11 verse 7. It actually talks about Noah. And it says, Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation and warnings from God about what was coming, even things that had never been seen. But he stepped out in reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. By his faith, the world was condemned. But Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. God warned Noah about something that had never been seen before. God warned, something, God warned Noah about a flood and told him to build an ark. If I were to just throw out a random word that's never been created before, you'd all be like, what are you talking about, Emma? The word like flood and ark were these unknown things. Like, you try and wrap your head around what the logistics of that's going to look like. Like, if you're a planner and God says, okay, build an ark, there's a flood coming, I'm going to want to know all the details of what exactly that looks like. But we don't see Noah going through this 10-point, like 10-page document as to the logistics of how God is going to do that. All it says, and Noah did all that God had commanded him to do. Great faith in the unknown. Now, for Noah to have had that faith, he needed to have that faithful walk with God to know God's voice and to trust God's voice. An ark, because of a flood, was a complete unknown. Yet because of his faithfulness with his walk with God, he was, re he was able to respond from that faithfulness in faith. Are you able to respond in your faithfulness with your walk with God in faith? Is your walk with God something that is consistent? Or is it like those of, the, of mankind before, where it's continuously in this other vein of thinking? Is your walk with God consistent? Is it faithful? For you to have that word faithful attached to your name requires consistency of walk. It's not in and out and there and back every now and then. It's consistency. It's a faithfulness. God wants his church to be faithful in our walk with him because it's in that faithfulness that we're able to then respond to in faith to all that God is commanding us to do. Faith. In that faith, God makes a covenant with Noah. Because of that faith that Noah had, God makes a covenant. Noah literally shakes hands with God in covenant. Why? Because of his faith. Now, for Noah to have had this faith to build the ark and to go into the ark and gather the animals and endure the flood... It didn't just happen. It actually says, like, Noah walked with God before all of that happened. So for you to be able to respond in great faith to a great command of God, you need to have faith in the ordinary day. Your life needs to be faithfulled, not just in the big moments of life, in the consistent Day in, day out. Is your faith alive with your kids? Is your faith alive in your household? Is your faith alive in your workplace? Are you walking faithfully in faith in those areas of your life? It actually says his common conduct is he was described as being a just man and perfect in his generations. The Bible says the just will live by faith. It's in that faith that we find that perfection that we find through Jesus. The just shall live by faith. Is faith alive in your daily bread? 
The second, the second part of faith that we see in Noah is that the faith in actually building the ark. For Noah to have built the ark, he had to have believed the word that the flood was coming. No man prepares an ark unless they believe the word that there is a flood coming. There are things that God is asking of you to build, saying, hey, build this because of this. If you don't believe the because of this, you're not going to build. Do you believe God's word when he says something is coming for you, something is coming in your life, build, or do you just let it go? And then when that opportunity comes, when that circumstance comes, when that thing comes in your life, have you actually built what God commanded you to build so that you can endure and overcome those seasons? But for you to actually build that ark, for Noah to have actually partnered his faith to build, to, to resource God's word, I believe God's word. 120 years is a long time to build something that is unknown to the world around you. Like, this wouldn't have been an easy job. The world's literally full of evil. Man's heart is towards evil. And so then you've got Noah, who's faithful, righteous, and blameless, building an ark for 120 years and preaching the gospel that, hey, there's a flood coming. <laughs> and no, one's, no one actually believes that. Over 120 years, no one actually, outside of his family, gets on that boat. And so that's a really hard place to actually build something that's really unusual for something that's never really happened before. Like the ridicule that would have come, people laughing, people taunting him, people discouraging him, but it was not just day one he needed that faith. He needed along that whole journey of ridicule. That's a long time. Some of us have been praying for six months and we're ready to give up. Some of us have been working hard for like two weeks and we're like, I'm done, God. It's been two weeks of pain. I can't handle it anymore. But there is a constant faithful walk that we find in Noah. His faith actually believed both the warning and the promise. If he had not believed the threat of the flood, then he would have not prepared an ark and he would have not stepped into the promise. He believed it from warning to promise. He was found blameless. He was marching out of step with the culture and in step with the creator. That's going to draw some attention from people. See, it's easy to walk that life this morning. You're in church. You look around. It's easy to live a faithful life amongst the faithful when you're surrounded by, with a community that have the same mindset, the same culture, the same heart after God. But the world would have you step out of these doors and keep that faith in these four walls. Are you okay looking different? See, the church will say, uh, well, just claim yourself as weird. I'm like, no, no. Like, like, let's stop downplaying the fact that we're set apart. Let's stop making excuses for the fact that God's called us to be a holy people. The Bible doesn't say, but you're a royal priesthood, weird and like quirky. No, actually, it says, where is it? It says something. <laughs> But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You're not weird. You're chosen. Stop downplaying the word of God about yourself so that you make everyone else a little bit more comfortable about the way you live your life. 
You're meant to stand out. Your life is meant to be like Noah, that for 120 years, you might look like you're the only one taking a stand because of the word of God. It says you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's not weird. I get it, like we have personalities that are weird personalities. The body of Christ is not some weird thing that we need to just do our own thing and pretend like it doesn't exist. Stop downplaying the word of God in your life. Start owning the fact that you are set apart. See, the world targets young people to fit in at a very young age. Marketing goes, hey, this is how you can be cool in this day and age. This is how you can fit in by not fitting in, but really you're fitting in to the not fitting in. Like, honestly, it's like we, we t- the world is targeting young people to show them how they can fit in and be accepted by society, but he no stands out above the crowd and he's not accepted by society. He's not. And it's so easy for us as a church to go, well, I need to be accepted. I need to be pleased. You know what? No one pleased God. We spend so much time as the body of Christ trying to please everyone because we think in the pleasing of everyone that then maybe they'll come to God because we've kept it a little bit secret and not made it too weird for them. I tell you what, if you invite someone to church, it's something they've never seen before. This is, this is different. You know, prayer is, seems to be a universal thing upon a lot of different religions and things like that. But I tell you what, worship is different. It's like I was at this, um, having a conversation with someone two years ago, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to do prayer in our church service because we want it to be seeker-friendly. And I'm like, nothing about church is familiar for people. Like, like, why throw all godly principle out to try and please people? When it says, the Bible says you've got to please God, and it's in the pleasing of God that you actually identify yourself as someone who's different that could show someone the right way to live. We spend so much time as a society trying to please those around us instead of pleasing God, and it's exhausting. Who's ever tried to please people before? I am like, guilty. (laughs) It's so tiring. And then you realize you don't get to, you can't please everyone, and then you end up not being pleased at all. And it's like, wow, like I'm just like shooting myself in the foot continually. It's like, you just can't do it, but you can please God. And from that, you step into the promises that God has. And from that, God's kingdom shall be known. But we're just so counter with our pleasing. It's like, I got to please people. I got to do this. We need to move from a pleasing, uh, people-pleasing culture to pleasing God. Man, I've jumped all over the place today, and I totally actually don't care. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) 1 Peter 4 says this, verse 4, Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. Standing out in the world like Noah can make you unpopular. People can't comprehend. There will be people that will actually be very critical. There will be loud voices that will say, Ah, just curse God and die, just as they said to Job. But it's in the faithful walk with God that you are found righteous and blameless, that you are found to step into the promise, that your faith will exceedingly grow so that when floods come, 
God brings you into a promise with him. He shakes hands with you. It's, we sing this song, um, Another in the Fire, on Sundays. Who likes that song? Love it. And that song is, a, is beautiful language. It, it's actually talking about a story that we find in the book of Daniel. Um, and we have these three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys, um, basically, they are wise men um, in Babylon, and they uh, serve the king. And the king gathers everyone together and says, look at this gold statue I've made. Isn't it cool? Let's worship it. Which I'm like, are you insane? Like, that sounds so boring. Um, and so um, anyone who doesn't worship it, like, you're out kind of thing. And there's actually a group of people that do not like the Jewish people, and they say, hey, well, these three guys, they weren't worshipping, so what do you want to do about it? And he's like, throw them into the fire. And, like, the furnace is so hot. And so these three men get thrown into the fire, and the guards that actually threw them in die because of the heat. And here we see in the book of Daniel that they're, they're not... They're there in the fire, standing and talking and walking with a fourth person. And that fourth person is the presence of God. And we sing this song, another in the fire, another in fire. Do you know what it took to get in the fire? Do you know what it actually required of those three men? Three men to be placed in the fire with Jesus? It, it was them being different. It was them actually saying no to the culture of the world to go, I'm going to actually partner with my faith in Christ Jesus. I'm going to partner with my faith in God and believe that he is the word. So many of us sing this song, yeah, Jesus is with me, he's in the fire. And I'm like, do you know what the fire is? Do we actually know what the fire is? The fire is the ridicule. The fire is the position of the world saying, you deserve the flames. We don't like you. We don't like your way of living. We don't like the way that you uh, uphold God. We want you to burn. That is the fire. See, we all want to sing that song and we all want to have Jesus in the fire, but we don't know what it really takes to actually get in the fire. The God has called us to stand out, to be counterculture, so that we can have the testimony of there is another in the fire with me. But we're so scared to because it requires so much of our faith. It's funny, like, when God called Noah to build an ark, like, an ark is kind of like a brand new thing, right? So we have this uh, thing in Vancouver where we uh, uphold creativity. Oh, you're so creative. Oh, look at that, like, amazing sculpture in Vancouver Art Gallery. Like, I still love it. Like, we have this thing where we elevate creativity. And I love creativity. I consider myself to be a creative person. Yet, it's the world's creativity. See, when... When God said to Noah, build an ark, that is creative thinking. Like, an ark had never been done today. If someone were to, like, build something that had never been built today, oh, my gosh, they're, like, iconic. They're going to go down in history as, like, a great artist. Yet, when God says, here's my creativity, will you partner with it? Sorry, God, that's a little bit too out of the box. See, we've got to conform your creativity to our creativity. It can't be too out there. Yet we celebrate creativity in the world as being out of the box. But when God says, here, here's a creative thing, solution to what is ahead. Do this. Sorry, God. That requires too much of me laying my creativity down, laying my faith down. We elevate worldly creativity. But when God requires a creative uh, faith to be partnered with him... We say it's too hard. It's too much. Noah literally had to build a giant boat to fit animals in it. 
That's creative thinking. Like, this is the creator. We elevate creativity, yet when the God who spoke a word and light turned up says something, too much. When God who spoke a word and breath filled our lungs turns up, too much. When God who spoke a word and the wonders of the heavens were appeared, it's too much. Are you kidding me? Like, we've seen him create so much before. We limit all that God can do in faith through us, through our creativity. When God is saying, I have so much more than you would ever realize, do you trust me with it? Do you trust me with your creativity? Do you trust me with your faith in that and partnering with it? The reality is, and I get the band to come up, the ark is the modern day church. When Noah was asked to create the ark, it was this thing where he was bringing together all that was good and of God to be protected from the floods. We, with the church is a modern-day ark. We, we literally, we come together and we're in the presence of God. Do you know what it is to look after that amount of animals? We got a bearded dragon recently, which is like a lizard. It's like this big at the moment. Super cute. I actually love it. She's crazy. She like jumps around everywhere and like, like she's pretty chill. But I still have to clean that tank and I still have to pick up the things that she releases from her body. And I still have to feed her worms, which are so stinky. You can buy like these can of worms. They're all dead, but like they're wet and stinky and gross. We also have fish. Fish are the, like, I cannot handle having fish. Like, the smell is bad, and, like, when you have to clean the, t like, it's wet. Like, wet. Like, a wet pet. <laughs> I was like, I'm not even going to look after them. No, I'm kidding. I do look after them. Well, kind of. But <laughs> they're Ben's job. But, it, it, like, having a pet takes, takes work, doesn't it? Who's got pets? It takes work. You're probably thinking, oh, I gotta go take my lizard for a walk. Um, <laughs> but it takes work. Now, like, imagine Noah, every kind of animal, like every kind of poop. Like, you think, they didn't have those doggy bags where you'd like, like, honestly, the smell would have been horrible. Purely from the fact that I couldn't handle that amount of feces, I don't know if I'd be able to go to the ark. Like, my diaper-changing days are done. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord. That is a lot of animals to look after. See, when God saw Noah, he needed to find somebody that cared about the original mandate that he gave to Adam. Go into the world, be fruitful and multiply. Care for my creation. See, Noah was blameless. He was righteous and he was faithful in his walk. But just by the fact that he looked after all those animals shows that he cared. He cared. He had an attitude of care, of going, you know what, this is God's creation. This is God's animals. This is God's nature. I'm going to care. And just like we are in this church, God is looking for people that would care. When, when the flood came, there was only one door in the ark. And it literally says that God shut them in. They were shut in this place together. There was no exit strategy. There was no back door where they could creep out and escape the animals. See, in our relationships in church life, we like to have an exit strategy for some relationships. 
We like to go, yeah, I'm here on Sunday and I'm great, but I'm going to just sneak out the back door and avoid those people from Monday because I want to please the world. But God is saying to this church, I'm going to shut you in. You know what? Get comfortable. Get familiar with each other. Start caring for each other. Start having a level of care and love for each other that if you were literally shut in together for over a year, which is how long they were in the ark for, that you'd be okay. Are you okay to be shut in with the person next to you? Everyone look around. Oh, Matt and Amanda, they're sitting next to each other. It's a bad thing. <laughs> Are you okay with that? With all the mess that comes with that? With all the cleanup that comes with that? All the care that comes with that? If God says, I'm going to shut you in, can you actually approach the person next to you with care? God is asking of us as the church today, would you take on the mandate of Adam that I gave and rebirth through Noah to be in this world, be fruitful in this world, to multiply in this world, to bring life. That's what it's talking about. Bring life into this world. Can you do that even in this church? When we come together like-minded, can you do it? It can be easy being Christian here on a Sunday. It can be easy standing out here on a Sunday. But Matthew actually says, Matthew 5 14 to 16, it says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There is a lot of darkness in this world. And it's so easy for us to conform to that. Or we could be like what it says in Matthew, be a light, stand out. Is it going to be easy all the time? No. That's why we come together to be encouraged, to know, hey, we can do this. We can actually be a light to this world. I believe you can. Lauren, I believe you can. I know it's not always easy, but I'm telling you now, you can. You've got this. We're here. See, if there was chaos in the ark with the animals eating each other and fighting and all of that, it, it wouldn't be a very good promise to step into. The in-house fighting, that's just not something we do. That's not, just some, that's not something that is a part of the promise of God for us. Coming together, coming in unity, in unity, in faith, encouragement, hey, then you're going to be sent out well then you're going to be able to withstand the 120 years of building an ark where there's criticism. Then you're going to be able to withstand the floodwaters as they come and crash down. Then you're going to be able to stand as you wait, wait, wait for the water to dry up. 120 years they had to wait as the water just settled. 120 days, sorry. 120 days in the ark they had to just wait as the water was just, the floods would stop. It just was there, waiting that's a hard space to be in. That's why we have each other, so that in those moments that we can gather together as they did in the ark to bring courage to each other through those times. I love how Paul starts his letter to the Romans. Why don't you stand with me this morning, church? He's so confident. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart 
for the gospel of God. That's how he starts. Set apart for the gospel of God. He embraces it. He doesn't say it's weird. He doesn't dismiss it. He embraces it. Today, I want to challenge you, church, as we head back into a time of worship, will you embrace the set apart part of your life where you're not meant to blend in? You're not meant to be pulled by the crowd. You're meant to actually stand out. Don't be weird, unless you are weird, in which case be weird, that's fine. But don't make the simple gospel, the message of God, weird. Don't downplay it as something that can be dismissed as, oh, that's just Christian. That's just weird. Own it. Own it like Paul did. I'm set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm set apart. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.